What's up, everybody? Welcome to The 180 with Eric Lockley. I'm your host, Eric Lockley. There are moments in life that define us, that lead us to a crossroads where we have to choose one path or a completely different path altogether. Join me as we dive into our guest's turning points. Let's laugh, heal, and be inspired together as we pull back the curtain on how our guest made the 180. Sometimes life gets hard when you're on your journey. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life will be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180, yeah. The 180, yeah. How you doing, Sean? Eric, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, thanks for having me on the program. Looking forward to the conversation. Of course, of course. Well, y'all hear him. I am so thrilled to have Sean D. Rochester here at the 180. And uh, I want to tell y'all a little something more about him. So Sean D. Rochester is the CEO of Good Steward LLC and the founder of PhD Enterprises and the Idea Institute. These organizations provide financial education and advisory services to consumers, as well as increase the presence of Black employees and enterprises in U.S. public and private sectors, payroll, and supply chains. Sean is also the author of the critically acclaimed book, The Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America. Companies and institutions such as Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Cornell University, and more have hosted talks about this book. And Sean's latest book is CPR for the Soul. The entire book is built around three fundamental pillars of stewardship, ownership, and legacy, without which there can be no wealth accumulation. We ought to feel awfully rich to have this man on the podcast today. Let's welcome Sean Rochester. Thank you for being here once again, man. Uh, thank you for that great, that great uh, intro. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that was awesome. How's your day? How are you feeling? I know in New York right now, it's feeling very springy. There is warm weather. But yeah, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, man. I say, listen, given all the madness that we're dealing with, I'm, I'm very blessed. Yeah. You know, so, so I'm happy about that. Good, good. As usual on the 180, we are going to play a game. I'm excited for this because I get to rap. What? I'm sure everybody, all our listeners are excited for that one. It's game time on the 180. The name of the game is... Lyrical Assets. Rapping about money has been a part of hip-hop culture for as long as hip-hop culture has existed. So I've got lyrics from four rappers. And I would like for you to see if you can guess the artist and then tell us an economic principle that the lyric addresses. Wow. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you who the four artists are, you know, ahead of time so that you don't have to feel like you just guessing from all the, you know, 50 years of hip hop that have existed. <laughs> the four artists are Most Def slash Yassine Bey, Jay-Z, Eric B. and Rakim, and Kanye West. So those are the four artists. Shout out to female rap artists. I'm sorry. I just, I got to acknowledge it. I, I was searching and I just... I know y'all exist, and I know y'all talk about money, too. So, here is the first lyric. I bought every V12 engine. Wish I could take it back to the beginning. I could have bought a piece in Dumbo before it was Dumbo for, like, $2 million. That same building today is worth $25 million. Guess how I'm feeling, Dumbo. That's Jay-Z. Yes! That is correct. Yeah, that's Jay-Z. Yeah, that's dope. It's actually powerful what he's talking about. 
is having spent an extraordinary amount of money on basically depreciating assets, mm-hmm. right? Beautiful cars, right? Amazing car, fast cars. They catch your eye. They communicate a lot externally, right? Yeah. But they depreciate over time into nothing. He's moving in the wrong direction. Mm. And what he's saying is, is at that same time, I could have bought a building, right? That went up over 10x in value yeah. at the same time. So it's the principle of investing and appreciating assets. And it's also talking about knowledge accumulation mm-hmm. because the Jay-Z today isn't the same person at that time. Right. He doesn't have the same system of beliefs in terms of you know investments and whatnot, right? Yeah. He was, you know, he was a young man at the time and without a lot of formal economic training. So we need to be educated on these matters so that when we do have resources, we'll invest, invest them in things that can create generational wealth yeah. and not things that give us the appearance of actually having generational wealth. Ooh, <laughs> yes, the reality versus the appearance, especially in this right. Instagram, social media type generation. Yep. Thank you. All right, next up. Budget cut backs but increase police presence. And even if you get out of prison still living, join the other 5 million under state supervision. This is business. No faces, just lines and statistics. From your phone, your zip code to the SS1 digits, the system break man, child, and women into figures. Yeah, that's, um, I don't know which artist that one is. Okay, okay, okay. We're talking about a couple of things. Mm-hmm. You've got the deinvestment in housing and the reinvestment into facilities that incarcerate. Yeah which is a real thing that happened on the order of billions of dollars, very destructive to the black community. Mm-hmm. He's talking about how, you know, a lot of this stuff is kind of set in place from where you're born. Right. Yes. Right. To where you're going to be, mm-hmm. which is very true. You know, zip codes have a very predictive about outcomes, right? Right. Economic outcomes, educational outcomes, health outcomes, so on and so forth. That basically is systematic, right? It's systemic. Yeah. It's doing this by design, right? It's not an accident. So those are the things that I kind of pulled away from that. Yeah. Well, that was Most Deaf. Mathematics is the name of that song. But yeah, Most Deaf, Yasin Bey. That would make sense. Uh-huh. He's very substantive. All right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's He he talks about some real stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Next up. Meanwhile, the DEA teamed up with the CCA. They're trying to lock us up. They're trying to make new slaves. See, that's that privately owned prison. Get your police. Get your piece today. They probably all in the Hamptons bragging about what they made. Is that Kanye? It is. I was trying. I was, you know. Meanwhile, the DEA teamed up with the CCA. They trying. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah I, I right, right. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. I never heard Rakim talk about the Hamptons. Right, right. So, yeah. <laughs> but yes, Kanye West, correcto. That's also more explicitly talking about the investment in Black communities, a massive investment in incarceration mm. systems. Yeah. Right. These are numbers like. 10 plus billion dollars. They took money out of investing for economic supports for families with children and, and put it into building prisons. Yeah. And then you're making money from it. Right. Because private interests, right, were benefiting from that. That creates capital expansion. And then they use that to live well, right? In these mm-hmm. different communities that, that we know where wealthy people, right, you know, tend to be. Yeah. It's a massive issue. It amazes me. People see the effects, but they seem to be completely unaware of the history. Yeah. And the name of that song is New Slaves, which is, you know, Kanye West is always kind of provocative. We can come back to him. He has some interesting <laughs> thoughts and some things that he says that right. I don't agree with at all. Right. Absolutely. But, right. Yeah. And it's just interesting that he even, to reflect, I can't remember exactly when that album came out, but it was before he made comments about slavery being you know, a choice. A choice. Right. Yeah. One of the 
uniquely absurd comments in the history of man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, Kanye is an uh, interesting case. Yeah. Okay, next one. Thinking of a master plan, cause ain't nothing but sweat inside my hands. So I dig into my pocket, all my money spent. So I dig deeper, but still coming up with lint. So I start my mission, leave my residence, thinking how I could get me some dead presidents. Yeah, but that's clearly Eric being right here, right? Yeah, so yeah, yes, that's correct. Classic. Hallelujah. Yeah, classic. Hello, though. He's trying to figure out how to earn income. Yeah. Right? And coming from areas where that's very difficult, that's massively underdeveloped in terms of infrastructure, in terms of business infrastructure, high rates of, of unemployment, right? Mm-hmm. And despite all of that, he's still trying to figure out how to make money for himself and presumably for his family. Yeah. It's not as simple as just go get a job. Right. Right? Yeah. And when you make the options for people to be able to earn resources difficult, they're going to find other ways to do it, mm-hmm. right? So if you want different outcomes, change the environment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, and that's a word for all of us in terms of circumstances. You know, if you want a different outcome, change the environment. Yep. Yeah. That is a message. message. Okay, last one. I bought some artwork for $1 million. Two years later, that's worth $2 million. A few years later, that's worth $8 million. I can't wait to give this to my children. Yeah, so that's clearly Jay-Z, right? Yeah, yes, correct. He's talking about intergenerational wealth, right? Mm -hmm. So giving assets to his children, number one. And he's also talking about investing in a, it's it's like even like a higher level of assets, right? Yeah. You know, you've got stocks and bonds and real estate and digital currency, you got all these different kinds of things, right? But he's at a level of investing in art, mm-hmm. right? This this idea of, of high culture. Yeah. And even that is an asset, right? Yeah. Which, by the way, you can display at home, you can lend it out to people and earn money, so on and so forth. And it's appreciating, right? And he has the goal of leaving it for his children. It's not a side product of his activities. Mm, yeah. Right? That's a, a powerful thing. And he's using his platform to introduce people. Right. Not, not just the intergenerational wealth. And not just the investments, but investments you might not have thought about yeah. that actually have high levels of appreciation. Mm. And I, it makes me think um, there's a great documentary on HBO called Black Art in the Absence of Light that really looks at fine art and black artists, their specific challenges in the world of fine art. It's really, really powerful. So I recommend folks check that out. Have you been? Have you seen it? No, but I, I thank you for giving me the heads up on it. No, thank you. Yeah, it's it's great. And I'm, you know, as an artist myself, not, not fine arts, I'm not drawing, I'm not painting. Mm-hmm. I just love conversations about black identity and artwork and how do we ensure that we create more room for more black artists to thrive. I want to thank you, Sean, for playing Lyrical Assets. Thank you for throwing some stuff out there that I would catch. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, yes. I think you only got one wrong. We will send you a mug because, you know, you you completed the game and you were successful. You were victorious in Lyrical Assets. So you get the 180 mug. (laughs) Appreciate the mug. And now I'm just going to ask some kind of silly questions getting to know you. What was one thing that you refused to eat or drink as a kid that you really enjoy now? Wow. Um, there's nothing that fits that category. There is an interesting thing. Yeah. There's, there's like Really? That I uh-huh. enjoy now? Nah. <laughs> but I did not like watermelon. As a kid? As a everything. I just, I didn't like it. Okay. You've never, okay. You didn't like it. Yeah. 
my kids like it, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm always talking to them about all, all kinds of things. So there's always this interesting conversation going on. So I was talking to them about their vegetables they don't like. I was talking to them about, you don't, you don't eat it because you like it. You eat it because it's necessary. Mm. You know, it's going to give you this vitamin, this mineral. It's going to do this for brain and bone development, all this kind of different stuff, right? Uh-huh. And, and that's what you got to focus on. So they go out and they look up and I'm like, there's no value for watermelon, right? <laughs> So they go and they go look up the nutritional value uh-huh. of it. It turns out it's really great things in watermelon. Yeah. So they were like, ah, right? So they play that card. They use my own thing against me. So I was like, all right, so now I got to eat it, right? <laughs> they, they played you. They turned things around. They did a 180 on you. Yeah, they did what they were supposed to do, right? Right. Those are my principles. Yeah. You got to live them. Right. So when I found out how nutritious and good it was, then I was like, all right, then I'll eat it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh huh. And so, have so, you been have you been eating it? I've had it <laughs> when it's around. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards, you just go yuck. <laughs> now, I'll have it. It's just weird. I just don't really kind of care for it very much. Yeah. But you know, it's actually a lot healthier than I was aware of. So I'm like, listen, let's just get all the benefit that we can get. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? You can suck up the taste. Yeah. To get the stuff that's good for you. Absolutely. Yeah, we had Tony Hillary, who started the nonprofit Harlem Grown, on the show a few episodes ago. It was some of our earlier episodes. And then he talked about how educating, especially the Black community, around agriculture and ensuring that there's education around the value of fresh vegetables, fresh fruits is really, really important. So I'm glad that those are conversations that, you know, are continuing and happening in many, many households because just because it might not taste good, that means it's not good for you. And also it can be really good for you and taste good and be fresh and be a vegetable and be a fruit. That's right. Which is, you know, we got to know all that Cheetos and Skittles and, you know, (laughs) <laughs> they're not great for you. 100%. Totally agree. Yep. What is the strangest gift you've ever received? I don't like recall because, you know, when you grow, I don't know if everybody knows it, but I didn't used to get a whole lot of gifts when I was kind of growing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So getting gifts at all was great. Yes. Like when it That's happened. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't remember strange gifts. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like the first, well, you know, we're in different age groups. Like, so we go back in the day when you got like, Atari. These were big things. Okay. Right. Yes, Atari. Yeah. That's that's a big deal. It yes. was a big like, you know, for people who didn't have anything, if you got something like that, it was a big deal. So I don't have a lot of strange gifts. Okay. Because I, I don't think I got that much. Mm-hmm. But when I did get them, man, I appreciated them to, to no end and still do. Mm-hmm. Now I know you travel and have traveled internationally. Yep. Was there ever a moment in that where like someone gave you something you're like, what, what do I do with this? Whether it was a gift or if it was like I don't know, a tool. I don't know. Was there ever a moment internationally where you were given something? You were like, I don't, I have a question about. Yeah, no, no. Like I got gifts, Yeah, you know, like small things, but it's it's, it's like tokens of appreciation. Right, right. Which and always... so, yeah, it was never weird. See, the great thing about traveling is you get exposed to a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But one of the most important things is like cultural appreciation. Yeah. You know, people in the West tend to focus a little too much on cultural appropriation, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but then you got cultural appreciation. Yeah, you would get little tokens of something that means a lot within a, a community or a family, or reminds them of back home and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't like, what am I going to do with this? You know? So right, right, right. And now, I mean, I'm sta- I'm standing on this gift thing. I'm trying. All right. <laughs> is there anything that you've ever given that you've been like, I hope this person like that you've been like, I don't know if they're going to like this. 
that maybe you still to this day don't know if that person just has thrown it in the closet or re-gifted it or given it away? Um, I don't think so, man. I'm too efficient, right? <laughs> oh, I love it. He said, I'm efficient. I give I, I get great gifts and I give great gifts. Right. Or just convert it to cash and then they get what they want. You know what I'm saying? That's very true. That right. Is, that, yes. When in doubt, you know what I mean? Yeah. The gifts thing for me is more like I appreciate that stuff. I'm not advertising right. for no gifts or anything like that. But when people do that, <laughs> right, you right, know, right. I appreciate it. Like it, yeah, it's not absolutely. like a, a thing to not care about for me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's great. Yeah. Value it, be grateful for it. Someone took time and energy to offer you something yeah it's always important to be grateful yeah which of snow white's seven doors describes you best bashful doc dopey grumpy happy sleepy or sneezy i would say the closest uh-huh right would be i guess bashful okay okay none of the others kind of uh-huh it's not even close because <laughs> i'm more late <laughs> yeah i'm more laid back okay right like when people first meet me i'm more i'm more like laid back and observing yeah yeah you know what i mean and, and kind of quiet and whatnot mm. actually not quiet serious <laughs> it's generally okay right the vibe yeah uh but then later on they're like wait a minute does he that was funny as hell like uh-huh i thought he was just straight serious all the time so i guess bashful because that seems like it's shy right right and it's not that i'm shy but more quiet and kind of serious yeah okay that's i i appreciate that partially because i feel like i don't use the term bashful to describe like i just use it so rarely yeah. but this is a this is a good example where you're like okay that 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 nearly describe is a good descriptor or the most accurate descriptor of all of these um bashful yeah um cool well i'm glad that we got to know a little more about you and now we'll get a little deeper uh, what inspired you to get into finance? I mean, I was always interested in being an entrepreneur, for sure. Mm -hmm. Finance in particular, I think it was, I was working as an engineer after I graduated from undergrad. Mm -hmm. My company grew dramatically through acquisition. It went from like 19 billion to 36 billion, short period of time. Wow. You know, where, where I was there. And there were lots of things that happened in, in the markets that happened with the acquisition that affected you know, us on the factory floor, mm -hmm. right? So, so I like had a bunch of people reporting to me and all that kind of stuff. And some of those things I agreed with, others I didn't. Mm. So I wanted to move into to finance really to better understand why they were making these strategic investments mm -hmm. and how the markets were affecting the business, right? So that that was an initial part of the impetus to kind of go to business school okay and then and then the other part of it to be quite honest is you could make a lot more money uh-huh and that's very important yeah yeah and with that in mind we talked a little bit with lyrical assets about generational wealth and intergenerational wealth at what point did do you feel like you started really thinking about that i did not start off thinking about generational wealth at all, right? I started thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of us, we're not coming. You're just trying to cover yourself, but yeah, like you're yeah. just trying to be okay initially. Mm -hmm. When did I was I like, thinking like in that word in particular? It's kind of hard to and say. I know you have kids. I Was it before you had kids or be, after? It would be like before. When you get the kids, cr things get crystallized, mm -hmm. right? It's a lot of expenses. Yeah. And you do need to put yourself in a position to be able to leave resources for them. But 
part of doing well and being an entrepreneur was to have resources mm -hmm. at a significant level. Yeah. And then as you, you know, find a wonderful partner and you start to build out a family, then it's to be able to not only leave resources for them, but train them to be able to handle it. Mm. Like people get it all mixed up. Yeah. Right. It's probably, I guess, around when I was getting married. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you mentioned, you know, once you start having a family, training them around this stuff, did you feel like you got that training as a kid? What was your childhood and youth like in terms of finances and discussions about finances? No, no, I didn't, I didn't get that training at all, right? I had to invest a lot of time, energy, and effort in being able to figure out how to manage my, my money. When I say manage it, I mean like keep it. Right. You work really hard to earn it, mm -hmm. but you got to convert earned income into retained income. That's the first step yeah. in wealth accumulation. And, and you got to make a lot of decisions mm. about what, what you're going to do and why you're going to do it and how you're going to put yourself in a better position. So I didn't I didn't have that coming up because that's part of the legacy. Right. Of all of this stuff that I talk about in my book, The Black Tax. Right. All yeah. this, this um, discriminatory behavior is we've never had that critical mass of wealth to pass on. Yeah. And then you pass on the lessons also with managing, mm -hmm. right? That's why a lot of us are just trying to figure it out. So I put a lot of energy into trying to figure it out. Um, and then when I figure things out, I never want people to go through the same pain that I went through. Yeah. So I try to short circuit that system by kind of giving them like the keys, right? Like the steps mm -hmm. in terms of what they can do uh, th themselves. And you said you went through a lot of steps trying to figure it out. Was there a moment when you would say you figured it? I mean, you know, of course, where you say you figured it out more so than you had before, you know, whether that was after you, once you started going into the career in finance or, uh, yeah, was there a moment where you like, okay, I figured this out better than I had before? There's a, there's the figuring out in the state that you're in. Yes. Right. right. There was, I need to get out the situation. How am I going to do it? That's great. And so like a finance situation, I think is what you're saying like yeah it's yeah man it's 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 like it's debt mm -hmm. you know it's all kinds of things debt, yeah. like you know when you get when you get out of university there's a ton of startup costs that nobody talks about yes you gotta have if, you, if you're gonna if you're gonna be an apartment you gotta have first last and security right you got that Oof. for a bunch of people your, your family is covering all that mm -hmm. if you don't have that you have to make sure that you have it right right how you gonna furnish your place at any level, right? At any level. Because I first started out, I had a crate, you know, those plastic crates? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And a little TV on top of it. That was a chair. <laughs> that was it. And and a mat, a mat from Walmart. Wow. That is it's in a cube and you could unfold it. Right. That was my furniture for a year. Yeah. Wow. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's hard. So if you don't have somebody to do that, you got to figure out how you're going to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to figure out how to how to manage your credit cards and, and, and how yes. to get them down and then eventually pay them off. And you have to do it on limited resources. So there is, there is when you realize like, oh, I see what I got to do, then there's a time it takes you to do it. Those are two very different things, right? right? Yes, yeah. You might see what you got to do in seven years working through it right uh -huh. for you to kind of get in the clear or whatever it is so there's that kind of set separation and that's where wealth plays a huge role mm. everything you're doing you have to finance yeah that that was kind of that was my situation right so other people had like they got a car parents bought it or the parents were paying mm. for it who's paying the insurance on it right right yeah so 
there, there's there's a lot of things right to, to think deeply about and when it's when you're not getting intergenerational wealth transfer and inheritance mm -hmm. all you have is how much you make and how well you use it yeah and I love you said how to make earned income and to retain, right. you know, retained income. Yep. And that's tricky when you're just, if you're just skating by with your earned income, it's like, I, I don't, I'm not making enough to retain. So yeah, it can be very, 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 very challenging. So talking about you specifically, you got into business school, you get into finance, and then you're doing what you wanted. And the conversations around race, and black folks and how, you know, how discriminatory practices, how racism, how, you know, systems of oppression are affecting our ability to get ahead. What made you take an active role in those conversations and then led you to writing the black tax? Yeah, that's over a long period of time, right? Because okay. <laughs> your your involvement in things race related to race in America is from the moment you set foot here, right? Yes. It's, it, it's always playing a role. So you're aware and it's, and it's how do you parry and mitigate it and manage through it and all this kind of nonsense, right? That's very draining. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I was, and then of course, you know, when you're younger, you're, you're engaged in these conversations, right? None of this stuff's new, right? All these college campuses, people having the same conversation been having for 50 years, right? About yes. race and some to some extent economics, but not civil, social, all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. We're con constantly talking about. In terms of taking an active part in like being principally focused on this area right mm -hmm. it's part of what i do that that's over a couple decades right because i didn't i didn't start out doing that okay although you're always engaged in it like my wife and i were with a nonprofit that gave out scholarships to black you know high school students going off to university mm. so we, we gave over you know part of that work over that period of time over two million dollars awesome right so we are engaged you, you know you know yeah. what i mean but in terms of like pivoting away from like you know corporate america and really focusing on what can be done about the wealth gap that happens much later yeah. and that happens through seeing these various articles about discrimination and, and markets that are really critical to wealth accumulation and being like you know what that kind of feels like a tax to me mm, mm -hmm. a, a nefarious kind of tax yeah because you benefit from taxes, right? Like they aggregate the money and they build roads, they the army, the schools, right? There's a lot of benefit from taxes, right? Mm -hmm. But not the black tax. Mm -hmm. There's no benefit from black people for that. It's a very nefarious kind of tax. So I would see those things. I was like, you know, I should, one day I'm gonna come back and kind of look at that, right? See if I can aggregate that. Yeah. For the listeners, can you like define the black tax? Cause you said there's no benefit in the black tax. So can you define yeah. What you mean by that specifically? Yeah. So the black tax is the financial cost of discrimination against black people that's driven by conscious or unconscious bias by individuals, by institutions or corporations or, you know, governments. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's the financial cost of discrimination against black people. Yeah. Oh, so I'm, I'm going to tell a story that actually is sad. I thought about this. I, I worked at a place when I was uh, 15 years old. I was leaving after work. It was a big store and uh, an alarm went off saying that, you know, I had some something that I perhaps had stolen something. And I was like, well, what is this? And I had purchased something. And because I was an employee, I think the person who helped me at the register didn't give me a receipt. So they, they didn't give me a receipt by accident or whatever it was. Right. And there was a police officer there and he was like, just confess. 
just confess. It'll be easier for everybody. Just confess. And he was passionately trying to get me to confess to a crime that I did not commit. And I was like heartbroken because I was like, why would you try to get me to fess up to something I didn't do? I didn't do it. And so they went into the system, saw that I purchased it and, you know, I was let go. But to imagine that, like you said, the black tech, to imagine that I could have either been gullible enough to to listen to him saying it'll be easier for you he's supposed to be the authority he's supposed to be somebody i'm supposed to be listening to but to imagine that i could have listened to him and then the amount of the cost the emotional like just the um, the the tax that it would take is uh really scary and just to think that there's so many people that get caught up in these systems that continue to oppress people and then have to pay for it and are not getting any benefit just continuously paying for it it's just um it's it's heartbreaking it's really it's really sad yeah so he was acting off of bias mm-hmm. anti-black bias yeah right which is by definition a systematic error in judgment right you're thinking someone who's more no more likely to be something than someone else is that thing and you're thinking it consistently in that direction right yeah um and so you you were a a, a recipient of biased behavior yeah uh, that could have led to attacks because if under whatever circumstances you wind up getting arrested and it's seeming like it would just be easier and cheaper for you to fess up right. because I don't have the money for a lawyer. I mean, whatever it is, it's kind of running through people's mm-hmm. minds. That could cost you a million dollars Yeah, because that's going to affect your lifetime earnings because mm-hmm. that's on your record. Yeah. Right. So, and, and that's why I go to step further to say, well, not just that it exists, this bias right but what does that now cost us mm-hmm. because that is affecting intergenerational wealth and and that's where it's unacceptable and you know what i mean at that point it's like that's unacceptable uh, so um you know that's it's and and there's there's hundreds of different ways in which people pay in the black tax on on a daily basis mm-hmm. right it's extremely problematic tell us uh just like one or two ways just because you mentioned there are hundreds of ways so now i'm like oh tell us them yeah, like I, I could give you some examples mm-hmm. that people might have heard um, on the news recently, mm. right? To give you a primer on it. So, for example, you know, like if you're kind of buying a home or if you're in a real estate transaction, the home has to be appraised. Mm-hmm. The bank who's who's lending, yeah, right, has to know that the asset is worth X dollars for really, just in case they have to take it back and sell it, they can kind of cover their money, right? So they require an appraisal. Yeah. So there's a couple of instances where it was in, I think it's in uh, Jacksonville, where it's like interracial couple, they get the house appraised, it comes in, it's it's like, it's this low ball appraisal. Uh-huh. They're like, this doesn't seem right, right? So what they do is the black partner is not present. The white partner is there when the appraiser shows up. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's, the next appraisal is $140,000 higher. Wow. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. Yes, yes. Think about that. Wow. Now, in, in the Bay Area, this happened with another uh, one, one of these kind of couples, mm-hmm. except the difference was 500000 500 Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like Right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's just, just the perception, right? Uh, this is, and, and we, you know, you may not, may know, this is why you, when you're selling your house, you take out all indications that people are black mm. who own it. Wow. Because it triggers this irrational bias, yeah. right? And there's lots of research that shows like how much this happens. Because there are high levels of anti-black bias in the country. Yeah, 
today, like right now. Mm -hmm. This post-racial is a is a fiction that's not tied to reality. Yeah, that's a myth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was it difficult to find the language to qualify and quantify this tax? I mean, you've written you've written a book about it, so you found the language. But um, what was that process like for you? It was not difficult in terms of finding information. It was putting in the work over a long period of time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What is difficult is dealing with the amount of it. Yeah. Right. Like it is very difficult to be confronted by the order of magnitude of deprivation that's happened historically and what is still going on right now. Hmm. Yeah. You know, like people read the book and they're impacted by it in a very real way. What's in the book is a small fraction of what I came across. Hmm. Yeah. Right. So one of my editors was like, I can't imagine what it was for you to put this together. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that being confronted with that is very difficult. And that's why the book's so powerful. It causes a paradigm shift. Right. There's, there's no room for you to go back to your normal way of thinking, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the evidence, the fact pattern is too extensive and the scale is more massive than, than you ever thought, hmm. right? And it's just like, wow, yeah. like these people had to go through this and then they're still going through it, right? It 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 changes the frame of how people think about it. Yeah, and and you know, within the Black Lives Matter movement, what's most what's most obvious and you know perhaps critical is that authorities uh, stop killing black bodies and getting away with it. You know, like that's forefront at the forefront of our minds however there are the finances there are there's you know there's imagination you know i i think about as an artist especially like what i'm passionate about is telling stories and getting people to reimagine spaces in which black bodies can thrive and exist it's so it is profound when you think about the various ways that systemic oppression is affecting finances bodies minds emotional wealth spiritual you know just on so many levels and we have to address it and and look at it and examine it and examine what we as individuals can do to shift it and how we as a community and collective and society can address it and shift things yeah items one through five for economics mm. item one is economics Item two is economics, <laughs> item three is economics, item four is economics, item five is economics. Yeah. The other things you observe are system, are symptoms of not having it, of not having capital. Wow. Mm. Your ability to effectively discriminate against someone is proportional to the capital difference between you. Mm. Right? So people want to solve, they're putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So which is I well, I focus on the fundamentals which is jobs, business, and capital. Mm -hmm. That's what's driving educational outcomes, health outcomes, issues associated with social and civil, Yeah. right? You're talking about the most impoverished communities are the ones that are that are treated the worst. Yeah. And then you have black on top of that because we're 10 times more likely to be exposed mm -hmm. uh, to that. that that's, that's a wealth yeah. issue, 
right? And that needs to be solved. Otherwise, you're still going to be dealing with the same mm-hmm. issues, Ooh. right? So is there a moment in your life where there was like a transition, a moment that felt like a 180 for you? Yeah. The seminal moment uh, happened. Um, I'm originally from Barbados and um, I came up to New York when I was about five or so, you know, and uh, and I stayed there through elementary school. Okay. So I was in Brooklyn for a little bit. In Queens. Shout out to Brooklyn. Shout out to Queens. No doubt. Queens is, is, is the joint, right? Yeah. So after uh, elementary school, I, I went back to Barbados. So I used to spend summers there, right? Mm. And I just asked my mom to stay. Because even in elementary school, things could go sideways real quick. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. Um, and you just didn't have that kind of drama, right? So you asked to stay in Barbados. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah, it was yeah. like... <laughs> It was cool. Like you didn't need a key. Somebody was always home. Nothing was uh-huh. going to spark off. It was just a different energy, right? Yeah. So I was just like, you know, I asked my mom to stay. Now, staying was with my aunts. Mm. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like some kind of foreign thing, right? Yeah. And she said yes, which was great. And it just so happened that one of my aunts was the deputy headmistress of like probably the second best school on island, right? Like hmm. only female. Wow. And that school is older than America. <laughs> the school right? is older yeah. than America. Wow. Yep. Well. So it took me a while, and they finally got me into the school's called Compromere. Got me into Compromere, right? Mm-hmm. And then they put me in the music class. But to get in the music class, mm-hmm. you have to have an ear for music, which is they play <laughs> notes. Uh huh. Right. And you can sense. recognize them. I do not uh-huh. have an ear for music, right? <laughs> so they put okay. me in the music class. And by the way, it just so happens that the music class is the it's also the best math and science class. Mm, it really is I mathematical, right? Like what yeah. people say, right? So, but things were just so, it was just so different, right? Um, and you don't get credit for showing up. There's, there's, there's no, if you can't, if you can't, if you don't do well, it's because you didn't work hard enough. Yeah. It's not because you can't do it. The expectations are high. The teachers are black. They're exceptional. Like, mm-hmm. You could be, you could be athletic. You could be cool. You could be a troublemaker and be smart. Yeah, yeah. There was no separation. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it was just a very different kind of energy. And and you you, <laughs> I it was like being in Sparta, right? Like I I rose because it was very difficult. Like I started off with 13 subjects. 13 subjects. Yeah. At one time. At one time. And you do that until you get into the <laughs> upper school. And at the upper school, you, you, you go down to eight. Wow. And all the tests are cumulative. And when you get into the upper school, the tests are cumulative for the last three years. Wow. Not the last semester. You're liable for everything covered. The last Per three each years. test. Yeah, it's, yes. it's a different level, right? Yeah. So that that being in that environment, like that moment was like a, it was like a godsend mm. because that prepared me for everything that was to come later. Yeah. That experience is more important than chemical engineering. It's more important than University of Chicago. It's more important than all the other. It just prepared me for all of it. Mm. Right. Like I came out of there on a different level. So like I, I wrote this kind of blog piece about my experience there because people are always like, why do you have this energy? Mm. And, and so I, I kind of explained it a little bit. Then I, I ended it, I, I title it with Black Excellence is Redundant. Hmm. Yeah. You know, like it was redundant. It, it wasn't unique. Like I never felt like I was the man. I was clearly capable. But on Krypton, everybody could shoot laser beams from their eyes. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like everybody could jump over mountains. It's not, yeah. 
it's not that big of a deal, right? Uh huh. So like, the aim isn't to be exceptional when everybody is exceptional. It's like we it's, all just yeah, right. It's, it's it, you still want to be exceptional, but it's harder. Mm. Like when I came back up here, what's the first thing they did, right? When I came back, I, I did like two years in high school when I came back mm -hmm. to the U.S. The first thing they did. They did that is put me in remedial classes without giving you a test or anything. They just put you in remedial classes. Nothing, yeah, right. Wow. Now they quickly uh -huh. came to see like this doesn't make sense. This you shouldn't be here, right? Uh huh. But that's that's that systematic error in judgment. Right. Oh, you're black and you're coming from the Caribbean, third world. Mm -hmm. You must not be prepared, which is absurd because we're off a British educational system. We're yeah, hella advanced, right? Uh huh. So, um, you know, and then we're like, well, we're going to put you in this thing called honors. Uh huh. Yeah. Don't know what that is because we don't use that language. I was like, well, what is that? But, well, for students who have like a 90 plus average, I was like, well, but across all subjects, they were like, yeah. I was just like, by the way, that's like the white whale. You heard about it. You've never actually uh -huh. seen it. You know how hard it is to get a 90? <laughs> Are you crazy? You could have like a 72 and be number one in your class, clearly, huh. right? It's just it's just a different level, right? So I was just like, yo, maybe I should tell them they got the wrong guy, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but it's their 90, mm. you know what I mean? It wasn't the 90 that I was used to. It's just like, if you do these things, and you do these things, and you get an A. Right. And I was like, so it was, a, it was a more lax 90 in the US compared to what you were experiencing in Barbados with that school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, other people from other places, they're gonna have a similar experience. Right. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, what you call advanced here is regular stuff. That uh huh. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they've de-invested in the quality of education. The, the budget is quite large. Mm. The outcome is actually quite poor Yeah. Uh, across the electorate. Only the top few percent of, of students are, are like, they're just world beaters, right? Mm. But in terms of the 50 million kids that we have in, in, in school, K through 12, yeah. they're doing a horrible injustice to those kids. And it's going to cost the country a tremendous amount. Mm. You simply can't maintain your spot. That's why we have to import so much talent. We're not preparing our young people. And so your, your 180 was being able to go to that school yeah it was going to barbados mm. and being in a totally different environment yeah. by the way i'm a walking experiment i'm the same kid in two different environments mm. because the new york city public school system i'm just a typical kid right so you know i'm behind right I, I don't do homework but not because i'm being a rebel like who does homework you know, you know what i'm saying it's like <laughs> right it's that was that was both right now are you in barbados or you're in new york that's, that was in like in new york right okay okay yeah yeah but then when you go to Barbados, it's just a different environment. Mm -hmm. And the expectations are higher. And uh, you, you, you see like excellence around you. It's not, it's not rare, mm -hmm. right? You don't see these weird separations yeah. in terms of the choices of, that you need to make and kind of who you are. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then you have this, 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 this phalanx of teachers that look like you and that are exceptional. Right. And that want the best for you and they don't play around. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's just very different, by the yeah. way. And like you don't get to talk to your teachers any kind of way. <laughs> if if you saw me on the first day, it was just like teacher walks in, everybody stands up. Mm. I was not used to that. I was like, yeah. oh, it's not. 
And then nobody says anything. Teacher says, good morning, class. You say, good morning, sir. Good morning, ma'am. Not Mary, not Miss Jacobs, not none of that. Uh-huh. Sir, ma'am. Not Miss. None of that. <laughs> right. And everybody's uh-huh. still standing, by the way. Mm. And then they say, you may be seated. Everybody sits. There's a, there's a discipline. You know what I mean? There is that you, you have to get used to. Yeah. Uh, in terms of how you comport yourself and what's expected of you. Um, and then you just start to rise to the occasion. And because you have to work so hard, you now can have comfort in believing in yourself to do well because you've done it already. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's, it's, it changes your kind of mindset, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, so that experience was the most important. That's the 180. That's what changed everything. Yeah. Otherwise, wow. you meeting a different person today. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, within the education, education system here in America, is there anything, whether related to economics or education, that you think could help to fix the broken systems here? There's a lot. This is a really big question. We we'll probably have to do a season. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah on this right to do it justice but just to to cut to the chase like one of the things that should be worked on tomorrow mm. is we're missing 352,000 black teachers mm. proportional to the black students wow that's costing the com- black community 20 billion dollars a year Whew. in salary and benefits because that's going to other people that's not going to, to to black people right yeah so they need to be hired yeah because they are homeowners they are buying cars, they are getting financial planning, they're getting buying phones, right? Like yeah. those resources are not flowing into to our community because of this kind of disproportional less availability, right? A presence of, of these teachers. So what there's lots to figure out, that needs to be fixed now. It needs to be done at scale. Mm, right? Mm-hmm. You have the issue of the curriculum. Yes. Is is devoid of actual history of America when it pertains to black people. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like telling your story without you. Right. It's like, where's the interest lie if I can't see myself in it at all? Yeah, it's really, it can be challenging. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is, it is um, you know, education is the process by which you lead yourself. You're led out of ignorance. Mm. That's the best definition I ever heard. Mm. That's from this uh, lady called Jane Elliott. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yet we produce many people who are very ignorant. Yes. Right mm-hmm. there, I think there's a difference between education and instruction. Mm. So I think schools or do their goal is more on education as on instruction, right? Yeah. Um, because people come out and, and they don't know anything about the history uh, of the country and, and how it developed and how capitalism came about and the central role that black people who, who were held in bondage here played in, in allowing that to happen. Yeah. There's no America yeah. without black people, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, the labor extracted from these folks and reinvested. Yes. And this is on an order of trillions of dollars, right? And reinvested into institutions and companies and corporations and governments and all that kind of stuff. None of that is, is, is present. But that information is not in any of the curriculum. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, maybe when you're in university, take a class here and there, you might get a slice of it, but you don't get the full sense of it. Yeah. Right? So people come out of it not thinking there's a problem or thinking that the problem is associated with black people. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and black folks come out of it clearly knowing there's a problem. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yes. But having great difficulty articulating it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, th- I mean, those are two things, right. That could be acted on. And then the other is our communities were created by exclusion mm-hmm. 
and deprivation. Yeah. You're excluded from economic opportunity and deprived of economic opportunity, right? Yeah. And then many mechanisms were foisted upon these folks that led to great devastation. I could kind of walk through what those things are. Mm. But now you want superior outcomes out of something that was designed to deliver mediocrity at best. Yeah. The whole structure needs to change. Yeah. Right? You, you, you need people out of these environments. Yes. Hallelujah. The whole structure needs to change, yeah. And, and that's kind of the, the conversation that we really need to have, and, and people are not having that. Yeah. It's, um, which, is, which is part of the problem. And I, I think, um, I mean, you said so many valuable things. I think within the education system, the difference between education and instruction is huge because I even just think about how many times, you know, in class, like follow instructions, follow instructions. It's like, yeah, you might be, we might be breeding a whole generation of people that are really good at following instructions. But trust me, in the in the real world, it's more about education than instructions. And 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 as an individual, as an individual that that seeks to be able to be self sufficient, following instructions, I need to be able to do more than follow instructions. I need to be able to educate myself. I need to be able to fend for myself figure out how I can be most self-reliant and not just follow what you tell me to do because that's being good at following instructions and that's not that's not going to get me where I want to go. Yeah, it, it's necessary but not sufficient. Yeah. Right? I'm not trying to disparage following instructions. It's just it doesn't educate you in the you know, you, how do black people get to only own 2% of US wealth? They they have no idea. They're like, "Oh, yeah. that's it. I thought you owned more." You know what I mean? They don't even know that that's the case. Yeah. And then most people think it's it's the fault of black people, the decisions that you make. It's it's with this baseless and it's ahistorical because you don't understand the history. Hmm. The history is not in any of it, right? It has been, it's not been included, and it's very helpful for people to come to certain conclusions that are beneficial to maintaining where things are. Why do you need to fix anything if you don't see the problem? Why do you need to fix anything if these people are the problem? And they fix themselves then we can kind of talk and, and, and not having that historical part in there makes it very, very difficult, diff- difficult because it's like you're grafted into a system. You know, you know what I mean? Like you can learn about the Pythagorean theorem, Yeah. but that theorem was not developed by Pythagoras. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I mean? That like it was in the, uh, uh, there's, it's out of Egypt. He learned from there. That that was there for a thousand years before he kind of came up with it, right? Mm-hmm. When they figured out, oh, the world is curved, right? Oh, it's, I think it's Copernicus. Economics. No, no, they were teaching you economics there, right? Like the the, the idea of mm-hmm. you actually played a role in some things here. Yeah. Right. Those kinds of things would be very helpful because yeah, it's important for people to feel connected to something, right? You know, you don't have that feeling of connection. Right. Yeah. And because it's just it's a resonance of they've stated to millions of black people over hundreds of years that you've made no contribution to art or science or anything else. Right. They stopped saying that, mm. but it's still not in any of the material. It's like if I stop saying you're not attractive and just never show your picture when I show people who are attractive. Yeah. Right. Right. The, right. The, 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 the impact winds up being the same. Because I don't associate you with this thing, right, 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 yeah. And that's a, that's a huge problem. Like that can be corrected in the in the curriculum the messaging, right? Here's what transpired here. Mm-hmm. Here's the cost, right? Here were the benefits. Here's who benefited, mm. so that people can look at things in a more balanced view. 
that's really important because then you're more likely to work together right because you have some understanding you have some empathy yeah uh, whereas the current state is less of that and um as we think i mean you talked about your experience in barbados and with those rep- seeing representation of black teachers seeing um and being around black exceptionalism are there examples um that you feel like either on mainstream media or even you know locally but are there examples of black exceptionalism that you think are important to acknowledge and are pushing us in the direction where we need to go or what are your thoughts around the black exceptionalism now <laughs> yeah so my the point is it wasn't exceptional where i was this is the difference right what we call exceptional is the normal state Mm, mm-hmm. yeah 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 that's where we are and who we would be if not for outside interference yeah again remember you took the same kid one environment typical outcome right i'm, I'm not wilding out yeah okay but i'm not beasting out you you, you know what i mean like you're right <laughs> it's, right and then you put that person in another environment uh-huh. and, then, yeah. and then you rise accordingly right now you're gonna put me in a highly unproductive unhealthy environment they would have got a, a different uh, impact. Yeah. So it isn't it isn't uh, so much about exceptionalism. They've created it. So if you come from a community of, of persistent poverty, mm. you are 99% less likely to graduate with a four-year degree than a person who comes from a community of significant resources. That's one in 100. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I said graduate. I didn't say beast out. Mm. Wow. Right? That doesn't mean Google's going to hire you just because you graduated from anywhere. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Right. You got to be next level. Right. Right. When you when you start talking about that, you probably talking about one in hundreds mm. or one in a thousand. Right. That's where you get this idea of exceptionalism because they've made the norm mm-hmm. be people who are underdeveloped. You know what I mean? And we're accepting that kind of thing as a normal state. And I'm like, no, it's not the normal state. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. I this is this is a really powerful discussion and I'm I'm excited to read the book The Black Tax cuz I I need to read it myself and I'm just grateful that you were able to share some of the details and some of the experiences that you've had because I I passionately want more need more and want more education around like how I can do better with my finances and in terms of shifting a mindset and recognizing both the systems that are working against me but also how i can work the systems that exist to my advantage you know as best as possible so i'm excited to explore the black tax and cpr for the soul which i know cpr for the soul kind of explores like okay how can we actually build uh wealth and continue to examine economic liberation as as a path the black tax is all about like i I wrote that book to be the most powerful mm. and compelling case to do business with black enterprise because mm. despite all the chat that we talk about doing business with black business we don't do business with black business two percent of our spend is on black enterprise Ooh, and that's within the black community or that's just in america yeah wow yep black wow. community two percent so i'm yeah, yeah, yeah so i'm like i get the rhetoric but at some point we got to drill down to the fat pattern yeah right yeah and, and there's reasons right like people have all kinds of quality concerns we approach it like it's a charity, like it's a cost. I'm going to take an L. I'm going to help right. you out. Support. By the way, never use this language to support live business. Never. Wait, okay, why? Why? Because I definitely do right nah, now. I, but I get it. That's why. the de facto kind of because uh, we use words of, of like charity 
firstly, like the foundation mm. supports you, you don't support the foundation. That's a one-way dynamic, right, right? Right. We don't talk about supporting Fendi and Prada and you insert whatever the brand is, right? We view that as a right. fair exchange of, of consideration, cash for whatever product. Mm. But we use charitable language when it comes to an economic transaction, yeah. when it comes to black enterprise. That's problem that you've already lost when you use that kind of language. Woo, you know what I mean? And, message. <laughs> right? And we don't give our best to charity. Yeah. Right. Right? So that's that's the wrong language. What you want to do is do business with, you want to commercialize. Yeah. You know, black enterprise and black business. So the black taxes is really laying out the case for that because it gets people to say, what can I do to fix this? And part of what you do is this thing I call PhD, which is purchase, hire, and deposit. Ways to create jobs, create and expand business and provide capital in the black community. If at the end of the day, what you're doing is not driving capital, job formation or expansion and capital uh, and, and businesses in the black community, it's, it's a shiny object. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you got to do that. The CPR for the soul and soul is, I like acronyms. So soul stands for stewardship, <laughs> ownership and legacy. Okay. So it's all about personal financial management. It's how do you get the most out of what you have now? Not what you could have in the future, mm. but right now, yes. right? So yes. stewardship is how you handle, manage, and grow your limited resources to their highest and best use to drive cash flow. You don't got cash flow, there's no more conversation. We're done here, mm -hmm. right? Right. <laughs> because yeah, you got to start there at the very. We're least. done. Yeah. There's, there's there's no home, right? That that you're building, affording college, starting a business, family, whatever it is you need to do, you have to have positive cash flow, right, to drive that. Yeah. Um, the other piece of it is, is ownership, which is how do you put yourself in a position where you're the only one who has claims on your resources, right? Hmm. So that, and that's about understanding kind of what your debt is and the levels of it and putting together a plan to get yourself out of that situation over time. You know what I mean? And then to try your level best to stay out of it. Yeah. That can be very difficult, right? Mm -hmm. And then legacy is three parts, right? It's how do you retire with, with dignity? How do you leave an inheritance for your children's children? And if you, through your walk of life, you see like a need, you see something that needs to be addressed, you feel like convicted to do something, that you could do more than hope and pray. Yes, yes, yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Right? Do more than hope and pray, yes, right? take action. So yeah. to do that, you actually have to have resources. Mm -hmm. To have resources, you have to have, have had a plan that you've been executing over time to get there. So what I'm saying is put that as part of your design. Mm-hmm. Those are part of the outcomes that you're trying to drive. And everything fits into that frame. So things that drive soul, you do more of. Things that impact soul, you do less of. And soul becomes primary. Yeah. Right? And, and, and that's, right? And CPR, and I talk about what our charge is, what our responsibility is. You know what I mean? This is bigger than just yeah. you. Like, right. even, in the word, even in the book, I define what responsibility is. I said, people say it, but a lot of people don't really understand what it means. Yeah. And, and responsibility is when you understand that what is required of you is greater than what is desired by you. Oh, oh I, I got a message. What is required by you is more important, deeper, more valuable than what is desired by you. Wow. Yeah, that's that's one on one for any leadership position. You know what I mean? Whether it's your household. Yeah. A, a team, a business, uh, whatever it is, you don't do what you want. You do what's necessary mm -hmm. for the squad, for the advancement, right, mm -hmm. of, of the team. Yeah. And we're out of balance when it comes to that. Oh, 
Okay, well, Sean, I I really I I could soak this up because this is really valuable and necessary and great. Um, but I'm gonna move on to the quote. We like to end with a quote that I'll have you respond to. So here we go. But in truth, it had not exactly been gold or even the promise of gold, but more like the fantasy of gold, the fairy dream that the gold is there at the end of the rainbow and will continue to be there forever, provided naturally that you don't go and look. This is known as finance. And that's from Terry Pratchett um, from Going Postal. That's interesting. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like finances, smoke and mirrors. Yeah, my, my view on that is different, right? Uh-huh. You know, you might be trying to say there is there is some, you know, the idea is bigger than the thing and the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I'm saying is, no, there's gold. Right. Firstly, you need to understand that the golden rule should be treat others as you treat yourself <laughs> the golden rule is he who has the goal or she rules right yeah it would be very important that you that you need to make sure that you have those resources right the worst position you could be in a capitalist society is to not have any capital mm-hmm. freedom is an illusion if you don't have capital right so what what can we do to help make sure that we have significant resources there's what we can do as individuals and there is what you can do right to maximize that yeah and then there's what can we do as a as a group and what can we do as a broader community of of many who are not just black people right who's everybody mm-hmm. to do business right with us and, and to make the pie bigger for everyone else right i think there's an idea of growing up or living through so many hundreds of years of deprivation that this whole stuff is normal is waiting for tomorrow and all this kind of stuff and it's like yeah nah this, this isn't normal. There's, 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 there's resources in it for you. None of this is happening by ha- happenstance. People are using every lever within their power to, um, to get power and to maintain it. You're right. And everyone should do that. You should too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. You need to be engaged from a civic perspective. You need to be engaged from a political perspective. You need to be engaged from an economic perspective. You have to have well-defined outcomes. Mm-hmm. And, and those things need to be fairly unchangeable, right? If they're economic, right? Because, com- yeah, and it's like complacency in any of those areas isn't going to get you any further. You know, it's like, I can't be, um, yeah, I, I can't be passionate about this one area of my life, whether that's my career or social justice or and and ignore finances and not think that everything else is going to be affected you ignore you know, it's like, finances basically nothing else is going to matter yeah right if people who don't have capital things are done to you things are done for you mm. things may be done on your behalf but things are rarely done by you mm. you, you, you know what i mean yeah. this state isn't normal we didn't create it we need to be out of it Right. We need to do the part that we can with the hand that we've been dealt to play it to the best of our abilities and engage others to participate in our economic advancement. Because while it does have a tremendous effect on us, it makes the pie bigger for them also. Mm -hmm. 
it's not zero sum. Sean, thank you so, 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 so much. You've dropped gems. I'm sure I know many people will be blessed. I certainly have been uh, by this discussion. I want to make sure folks follow you on Instagram at Sean, S-H-A-W-N dot Rochester, R-O-C-H-E-S-T-E-R. And also go and purchase Sean's books, The Black Tax and CPR for the Soul. You've heard how impactful and valuable those books could be to your financial health, to your overall health. So I, I hope our listeners will go out and get it for sure. Is there anything else that you want to plug or share with, share with our listeners? You can check out www.blacktaxedwithed.com. You can get the books there. We have online courses, right, uh, when it comes to personal financial management as well. You can get the books on Amazon. If you like um, audiobooks, we have them on Audible. Hey, uh, if you like your yes. Kindle, it's on Kindle. Uh, you can check out, you know, videos that I've done where I kind of talk about the black tax at different places like Google uh, and the like. And, uh, you know, the first step is to is to understand. Uh, and the next step is to implement. Yes. Well, thank you so, so much, Sean. Once again, it's been a joy having you here and such a valuable experience to have this discussion. So enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, yeah, we're thrilled to have you here at the 180. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. And um, look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you all for joining us. The 180 is produced by David Treatman with audio production and editing by Mike Luno. Original music composed by Jarrett Landon and sung by yours truly. And digital portraits by Byron McRae. If you like what you heard, tell your friends. We need your help to spread the love and inspiration. Follow us on all social media at The180Pod and visit our website at www.the180pod.com. If you want to help support these stories, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. You can get access to chat more with me. You can also get exclusive content, merchandise, and you can hear episodes early. Visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash the180pod. Until next time, I'm your host, Eric Lockley. Take care and be blessed. Know that you'll have a blessing if you just keep on pressing. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life won't be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180, yeah.